So you're probably wondering why he's asking you to sit down. So when the senior pastor is away and the youth pastor takes over, he changes everything. So that's what's going down today. And uh, is that okay with you if we change stuff? Is it all right? Okay. Because I just really needed to get your permission just in case he comes back and he's upset with me that I changed the order of service. I'm going to tell him that all of you said that it was okay. And you guys pay the bills and you pay me, so we're good to go, all right? So um, when I was uh, a kid, I remember, I remember being uh, right out of the gate, like as soon as I was old enough to kind of understand anything at all, or like probably old enough to even move my own arms and things like that, like I was striving for independence. I was striving to be uh, on my own, and I can, I can do this, and I can handle this. And so for those of you who have kids, or maybe some of you who can remember things like I do when I was little, you can uh, begin to relate to this a little bit, how children are. But for those of you that don't know, we have three kids, and here are two of them up here. This is Judah, and uh, he's three years old, and this is Jovi. She is two, and uh, we have another little girl, and she is one, and then we have one that is due on Christmas Day, for those of you that didn't know that. Yes, we have four coming, and uh, so we do know what causes that, by the way, so don't ask. We know, we know what causes that. Uh, we're just not willing to give that up, and uh, so we, we know, and there's something, you know, there's some. sorry, sorry, there's something, you know, about having two kids. You know, we had a boy and a girl, and uh, then we had three, and it's like, okay, you guys got, you know, you got a package. That's a nice little family. You know, you fit, you fit in a car together. But then when you have four, it's like everybody thinks you're weird and crazy. And so we, like, we cross the line with that. But our kids, uh, they're getting to the stage, and especially Jovi here, this two-year-old, she looks really sweet and innocent and happy, and she's just so pretty and beautiful, and she is, but she's also the most hard-headed little kid that you've ever seen in your life uh, she's probably even more hard-headed than you. And um, so she will coin this phrase as often as she can. No, I do it myself, Daddy. No, I, I do it myself, Daddy. Going to get her in the car and put her in her car seat, and she wants to buckle herself. I do it myself, Daddy. And even though she can't really buckle herself, you know, you just kind of like let her try, and then she still doesn't get it, or she does, but she ends up pinching her fingers, and then she cries, and it's like, Jovi, see, if you'd have just listened to Daddy, you wouldn't be crying right now. But I can do it myself, Daddy. I can do it myself, Daddy. She'll uh, go to take a drink, and we'll be maybe drinking a bottle of water, and she'll come up to us, and she'll say, drink, drink, Daddy. And, um, you know, we'll try to put the, put the water bottle, you know, up to her and, and help her, you know, with the drink. No, I can do it. And she'll grab the water bottle, and guess what happens? It spills everywhere. She makes a mess. And my personal favorite, uh, I can do it myself, Daddy is uh, she's, being, uh, she's been potty trained for a little time now, uh, but she really fully believes that she can wipe herself. And uh, let's just say that I can do it myself, Daddy, ends up with a mess on her hands. You know what I'm saying? So I, I know we're in church, but I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. She ends up with a mess on her hands, and I think about how often... She says, I, I do it myself, Daddy. I, I take care of this myself. I can, I can keep myself safe in this car seat. I can, I can take my own drink. I can clean up my own mess. 
but she really just ends up with a mess herself. And I thought, what if, what if you could just get, what if you could just get these, these little, beautiful, crazy monsters to understand who they were as a one, two, three-year-old, and who we were as mom and dad. If I could just get them to understand who they were and who I was. I'm your, I'm your dad. I care about you. I love you. I know what's best for you. If I could just get them to understand, wouldn't, wouldn't things be a little bit different? Wouldn't there be a little bit less arguing, questioning, rebelling? Why? Why do I have to do it that way, Daddy? Why? Why? They can't see the big picture. And it's just, man, if you just understood, Judah, if you just understood who you were and you understood who I was, things would be different. And I have this perspective now that I, I didn't have when I was a kid. But now that I'm a parent, I can, I can see who, who I was as a child. I made messes many times a day. I, I got dirty and have, had to have a bath, even though I didn't want one, probably several times a day. I expected free food, clothes, and rent without charge until I was 18. It's a little bit different now. It's 25. 25 is the new 18. <laughs> but, sorry, I'll catch up to some of you in a minute and you'll start laughing again. Um, I expected food, clothing, and, and free rent. And, and my parents, though, now I see that you know, they... They were the ones who cleaned up after my messes, gave me a bath when I was dirty, even when I didn't want one, but I needed one, who did give me food, clothes, and a home to live at all costs, whatever, whatever they had to do, whatever the links they had to go to, no matter how many hours my dad had to work to provide, he always did it because he loved me. I have this perspective now of who I was and who my dad was. Who I was, the, the mess maker, the one who got dirty, the one who needed clothes and needed food and needed water and needed shelter, and he was the one who provided, the one who rebelled. I was the one who disappointed, but he was the one who corrected and comforted I understand now who I was as a kid and who he is now. Don't we do the same thing with God? We are his children, but we don't fully understand or grasp who we are and who he is. So many times. I mean, we can come in here and maybe we can listen to a preacher or we can read a, read a verse or listen to a song and we, we kind of think, you know, many of us would say, yeah, God is my provider. We would come in here today and we would sing, today is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because today is the day. But what about on the days that aren't going so well? We had a significant misunderstanding this week 
and miscommunications with the city of Xenia water department. And I'm sure it's never, ever happened to anybody else in the city of Xenia. Um, but one day this week, our water got shut off. And so I, I call, and I'm like, what's the deal? Why is our water off? And they begin to explain to me this, 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 and this. It didn't really compute in my head and make sense what, you know, all of this stuff. But long story short, it wasn't really a great day that day at 3.30 when we found out the water was off. And then they can't come back to turn it on until the next day. So I, I went up there, and I settled up with them and made sure we got the water back on. But on a day like that, when your water gets turned off, I mean, is that the day that the Lord has made? That really tests you to know that, no, today is still the day that the Lord has made. And there will be times when we take it on ourselves. I, I can do it myself, and we just have to sing, instead of today is the day, we sing, don't worry, the sun will come out tomorrow. And we just wait till tomorrow, and maybe tomorrow will be the day that the Lord has made. But today is the day that I will choose that He is my Savior. And so I, I have joy, and I, I can rejoice, and I can be glad when my water is on and when my water is turned off, when the bills are paid and when they're unpaid, when there's food on the table, when there's no food on the table, when I'm sick or when I'm in health, when I'm poor, when I'm rich. Today is the day. But we don't live like that because we don't really understand who we are and who God is. We don't really grasp who we are and who our Father is. There were three guys in the Bible as we take our road trip through the Gospels. This is the last week of this series, but there were three guys who took a road trip themselves, and they were called uh, wise men. Some call them magi, but they were, they were three kings. And these three kings, they, they knew that someone had told them, and before them, someone had told them, and for many years, they had been hearing that there was a Savior coming. A, a, a Savior from what? Well, Adam and Eve in the beginning, they experienced the same issue we do. We think that what we want is what we need. See, Adam and Eve, they had everything that they needed. God had given them dominion and power over the whole earth. He had given them everything that they needed, but they wanted something else. And in our culture, it's so difficult for us to understand who we are and who God is because we really don't know what need is. We think because we don't have air conditioning for a week that we're in need. Even those on minimum wage still have an outfit or two in their closet, probably a vehicle to drive, probably clean water to drink. And if that's the case, then they're in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the entire world. We in America and in our culture, we have no concept of what a need really is. We need for nothing but want for everything. And we think that because we have a car and because we have education that is available to us and because we have all the knowledge that we need in the palm of our hand on our phone, we have it all. And so we live our lives instead of out of what we need, we live our lives out of what we want. And until we realize that we have 
needs that we can't fix. We have needs that we can't address. We have needs that we can't do anything about. Until we come to a place where we, we realize who we are and come to a place where we know who he is, we'll never get it. But these three men, they knew that Adam and Eve, even though they had everything, they wanted something and they wanted to become like God. And so they, they rebelled against their father. They made a mess. They got dirty. They messed it up. And from that point forward, death entered, to, entered the world. Sickness entered the world. Difficult circumstances entered the world. Things were perfect. Things were right. And then all of a sudden, in a moment when we chose what we wanted versus what we needed, and we, didn't, we forgot who we were and who God was, we messed things up and there was no hope. We were just left to ourselves to make messes, spill the water, Get our hands dirty. So there were finally three men who heard there's hope being born today in Bethlehem and there's a star that will lead you. And so these three kings packed their bags and they traveled 900 miles to see this child that was born. They heard of him, and there was another king in the land. His name was King Herod, and he said, hey, three kings, come, come stop by here, and I, I want to tell you something. So they, they had this private meeting, and King Herod said, can you just tell me when you find this one they are calling the Savior, the king of the Jews, the Messiah that's been prophesied about throughout the generations. There's coming a hope one day and tell me about him so I can go worship him too. And so this is where the story picks up in Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men or the kings and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star had been seen in the east, guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in the dream not to return to King Herod, because King Herod, after all, was trying to actually not worship this one they call the Messiah, but he was trying to rather kill him and take him out, remove him from the equation. Most uh, don't know this, and I, I didn't even know this until recently, but if they traveled 900 miles, it, it wasn't by Southwest Airlines. It wasn't in a car or anything with an engine. It took a long time for them to travel 900 miles 
to see this Savior. And so most uh, Bible scholars believe that Jesus would have actually not been the little baby Jesus in the manger scenes that we see at Christmas time. He would, he would not have been you know, there with Mary and the, and the animals and all of that and just a little baby, little baby Jesus, two-week-old, little six-ounce, six-pound, eight, six eight-ounce baby Jesus. He would not have been that. He would have been probably somewhere around two years old. That kind of changes the scenery a little bit. I, would, I kind of would really like to make a nativity scene with a two-year-old. That'd be kind of cool. I don't think I would sell any, but it'd be really cool. Two-year-old. I don't know if you've had much experience maybe working in the nursery or something with a two-year-old, but there's like no other creature on the planet like a two-year-old. <laughs> a two-year-old will look you in the face, never break eye contact, and poop in his pants. <laughs> who, who else would do that but a two-year-old? And so you have to ask yourself the question, what would cause three kings with power, position, wealth, probably all the comforts of life, things were probably going okay for them, what would cause three kings to come and travel 900 miles to then bow down to a two-year-old? The only thing that would cause that to happen is if those three kings had some understanding of not what they wanted, but what they needed. They had some understanding of just who they were. We're the messy ones. We're the dirty ones. We're the ones who need what we cannot provide for ourselves. And he even though he's a two-year-old little baby, even though this doesn't even make sense, that three kings would travel 900 miles to go bow down to a two-year-old, even when it doesn't look right, even when it doesn't seem right, even when others want to take this two-year-old out, even when others think you're crazy and don't understand and don't get it, what would cause three kings to bow to a two-year-old? It would be only that they had an understanding of who they were and who he was. Who they were, the messy ones, and who he was, the one who would clean it up, the one who would fix it, the one who would change the world forever, the one who would change where we had no hope beyond our messy, dirty selves, no hope beyond this messed up world that we live in. He, this two-year-old, is the one. And so what else, what else would we do? What else could we do as three kings? Yes, but three kings who are highly aware of just who we are. What else would we do except bow down and worship him? When we understand who we are and who God is, we worship when we understand who we are and who God is, we worship. That's what happened for these three kings. When we understand who we are 
and who He is. We worship. In fact, in Romans 12, it says, you know what, in in light of God's great mercy for us, in light of how great He is, in light of His love, in light of who we know that He is, let us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him, for this is your reasonable act of worship. In light of, when we realize how great He is, when we realize His mercy, when we realize who He is, and we understand who we are, what is the only reasonable response that we can come up with? Worship. Worship. Even if I'm a king bowing to a two-year-old, he's the Savior, and I am not. He is good, and I am not. I can't do anything else. What would I do other than worship? As we go through the Gospels, this happened several more times. In Mark chapter 10, there was a man in He was starting, uh, Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem and a man came running to him and what? Yeah, you can respond. I'm a youth pastor. I like like a little bit of interaction here. Let's try this again. A man came running up to him and he? And asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've I've heard that there's a Savior. I heard there's somebody coming. I'm not really sure who he is, but they, they say that he's the answer that we've been looking for since the beginning of time. He's the one who can clean up our mess. He's the one who can give us a bath when we're dirty. He's the one who can give us a hope and a future. And I hear that he's going to be around here today. And so there's a crowd of people, and Jesus is walking with the crowd of people. He has a bunch of followers with him, they say. And so I'm just looking for him. Where is Jesus? And I'm, and I'm standing on tippy and maybe I'm running up to a rock and I'm standing and I'm trying to see and, and I think I spot him and so I, I take off and I, I run and the only thing that I can think to do in that moment because he's a good teacher they say and, and he could be the Messiah he could be the one to bring me hope so I'm, I'm running to him and I'm finding him and what do I do when I get there I don't know what to do except kneel down and say can you, can you tell me how I can inherit eternal life Are are you the one? Are you the the Savior of the world? Are you the one who can tell me how I can escape this troubled life? How I cannot be a mess anymore? How I cannot spill the water anymore? How I cannot have a a mess on my hands from from trying to do it myself? And Are you the one that can tell me how to inherit eternal life? And, And if so, then all I can do Kneel down. All I can do is bow down to you, because if you're that guy, what else would I do? What else would I do but worship this guy? There were some fishermen in a boat. They were professionals. And you knew they were professionals because they stunk really, really bad like fish. (laughs) Me too. They're out in their boat and they're, they're casting their nets off to the side and they come up short. They, nothing. Cast their nets to the other side and come up nothing there either. And why, why aren't we catching anything? So Jesus comes along. Hey, having some trouble catching some fish out there? And I just have to wonder 
seems like they would, like at least in their mind maybe, like respond with, dude, can't you smell us? We're professionals. We do this for a living. Are you really about to give us some advice here on how to fish? But he says to them, hey, why don't, why don't you just try casting your net over there on the other side? And they're probably thinking, we were just over there. Do you think there's a cluster of fish and they have a ringleader and they're saying, okay, the net's on this side now. Let's all swim under the boat and go to this side. <laughs> we tricked them again. We were just on that side of the boat. We've been out here all days, all day. We're professionals. I got this. I got this. I can do this. I can do it, Daddy. I do it myself. They've been trying and toiling all day. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and says, cast your net over there. They cast the net, and there's so many fish that they have to call another boat of their buddies to say, come over here. We got all the fish you need. We can't handle them all. Come over here. And in that moment, this is what happens. It said, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he what? He fell on his knees. Luke chapter 8. He fell on his knees. And he said, oh, Lord, please, please leave me. I'm, I'm too much of a sinner to even be around you. He realized in that moment who he was. His best efforts, his trying really hard. He looked like a fisherman. He smelled like a fisherman. He was in a boat like a fisherman. He, he knew what was going on, but yet on his own, nothing but in one moment, he realized, who am I? And who is he? What else can I do but bow down? What other response can I have but to bow down? Even Jesus himself, I, I don't understand fully how this works, but... But Jesus was fully God, and yet he was fully man at the same time. And he, he came to this earth in the, in the form of a man. And so there was a very human part to Jesus. He had his own humanness while he was here. He experienced things the way that you and I experience them. And Jesus himself, even in his humanness, bowed to his Father. Luke 22, Jesus is with his friends his disciples, his followers, and it said he, he walked away. And he, he did the same thing. He did the same thing the man who was searching did. He did the same thing Peter did. He did the same thing that the wise men, the kings did. He, he knelt down. And he said, Father, if you are willing, please... Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What gave Jesus the strength to stand against his trouble? The strength to stand when he knew that he would humble himself even to death on a cross. He would suffer the death of a criminal for crimes he did not commit. 
He would have to cover a debt that he did not owe. He knew that he would be ridiculed. He knew that he would be made fun of and mocked. He knew that his beard would be ripped from his face. He, he knew that he would be kneeling for you and me as he carried his cross down a dusty road with pools of blood behind him from being beaten for me and you. What would cause a king to come to earth to know in his humanness in that moment who he was and who his father was? What would cause that man to be able to say, this is really hard, this is really difficult, but not what I want, but what you want. Some of you who have been in the Nazarene church a long time might call that holiness. You might call that sanctification. If you have no idea what those two words mean, don't worry about it. What it really means is that we're able to kneel and know who we are. The ones in need, the messy ones, the dirty ones, and who He is, the Savior. And be able to say, like the man who ran to Him, how can I inherit eternal life, Savior? Because I need something beyond the trouble of this world. I need something beyond myself. I can't fix it. I can't do it on my own. Or like Peter, where you realize, I'm not even worthy to talk to you, Savior. I've messed it all up. I've done it all wrong. I've toiled all day long, and I can't get it on my own. I'm not even worthy to be around you. Or like Jesus, to say, not, not what I want. Not what I want. But what you want, Dad, that's worship. Worship leads us to live a life and surrender to God. When Jesus taught, he taught us in the same way to show us who we are and who we are. I'm sorry, who he is. I believe that the Bible, in short, was given to us to reveal who we are and to reveal who He is. Simply put, that's what the Bible is. It shows us who we are and it shows us who He is. And in Jesus' teaching, in teaching us how to pray, He did the same thing. It's a whole prayer that puts us in our place and puts him in his place. Jesus was teaching and he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. First of all, he's our Father. In heaven, hallowed be your name. You are like no other. Your name is like no other. You're not like my counselor. You're not like my family members that tell me what to do. You're not like anybody else that's ever walked. No matter how good they are, your name is different. God, when I talk to you, you're different. I know who I am, and I know who you are. 
Start our prayer like that. You're not my magic genie. You're my father. God, you do not exist for me. I exist for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about me building my stuff. Not about my will, my desires. Pray for his kingdom. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction because his ways are higher than our ways. Pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next. Give us today our daily bread because we can't even feed ourselves. We need the one who can supply for us. We need the one who can meet our needs. Give us. We're in our position where we have to ask because we know who we are. We're the askers and he's the need meter. We ask the questions, he gives the answers. We know our place and we know his place. Forgive us our debts. Because like Peter, I know I'm in need of some forgiveness. I'm messy and I'm dirty. Forgive me. And I'll also forgive others the way that you've forgiven me, God. Lead us not into temptation. Because without him leading us away from temptation, without his protection, without his provision, I'll stand in line all day long to destroy my life with temptations that lead me astray. That's how dumb I am. Do it over and over and over and over again. Anybody else? Just pastor, right? Okay. But deliver us from the evil one. We cannot deliver ourselves. It doesn't matter how much we go to church. It doesn't matter how much we try, 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 try to do the right thing. It doesn't matter how we try to do good things. It doesn't matter that you're a good person, that people think you're a good person. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It does not matter. What matters is that he is the only one who can deliver me from evil. Who are we? Who is he? When we realize who we are and who he is, we worship. So in true road trip-like fashion, I want to tell you what the Gospels say about this man, Jesus. In case you don't know, or in case we've forgotten who he really is, here's what the Gospels say about Jesus. He says to us in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when you are not faithful, I am. Don't seek the approval of others, because I know you want to please everybody. I know you want to say yes to everybody. I know you care what everybody else thinks about you, but don't seek the approval of others. Just just seek me. It's not about your life. It's about me living in you. Don't worry because I am your rest and your answer. Don't bother judging others because I am the true judge. Ask, seek, knock. I will meet your needs. I am the narrow way. It's not the common way. It's not what everybody else does. 
It's not the normal thing to do, but normal is broken. Seek my way because I am the only way, the truth, and the life. I am the narrow path, and those who follow it, they find me, and they find life. Build your life on the solid rock. Don't just do what you want to do, because when you do what you want to do, and you make decisions on your own, and you seek your own will and your own desires above his will and his desires, I mean, it's like building a house on sand. Who would possibly do that? But if you follow my ways, you follow my lead, you do things my way, it's like building on a solid rock. What will change the world around us is not the president in office. It's not the good blog we write to post on Facebook. It's not the greatly crafted point that we put out there on Facebook for everybody to read and argue about. The thing that will absolutely change America is when there's a room full of people like this right here who realize who we are. We're dirty. We're messy. We're messed up. We can't fix ourselves. And like the three kings who, when it didn't even make sense, when no one understood, we will go and we will worship the Savior, when we realize who we are and who He is, the world will change because people will look at you and they'll start wondering, man, it's like they found a Savior, like they found a fix for all this stuff that's going on. What's wrong with this person? And the answer is, yes, we found a fix. We found a Savior. We know who He is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And we, what else would we, what else would we do? We did. We found the answer. We found the Savior. What else would we do except bow down and worship? He's the storm calmer in the Gospels. He's the teacher. He's the preacher. He's the dead raiser. He's the demon chaser. He's healer to the blind, lame, and sick. He's the one who calls. He's the one who sins. He's the one who gives purpose and meaning to life. He's fulfiller of the law that we could never live up to. We could never do it all right. We could never try to work our way to God. We could never try to earn our way to God. But he is the fulfiller of all the law that we could not keep. He is the comforter when we're weak, when we have no hope, when we're going through trials in our life. He is the heart changer who doesn't change us from the outside in, but from the inside out. He makes us a new person, a new creation. He is the heart changer, the heart fixer, the one who finds those who are lost and the one who runs to those who are coming home. Even though they're a great way off, he runs to those who are coming home. He is the forgiver. He is the way maker to heaven. He is his own bridge to himself. There was no way, there was a gap, there was a, a, a crevice we, we could not cross, we could not make it to him from where we are to where he is, but he became the bridge that made a way for us to get to him. He is the way maker to heaven. He is the savior, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And whether we choose today in this room to bow or whether we choose later, it will happen someday because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that one day, every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that we know who we are, but we know who he is. And he is Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And what could we do? What could we possibly do in response to that except to fall on our face and worship? And if we don't worship here in this room, if we don't worship here in a moment, what would cause us to live lives of worship outside these doors? When I am in this room, 
when I'm singing a song about my Savior and how he's forever glorified. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Savior of the world. I, I have a really, really hard time just It's like, what is that? Is that what you do for a Savior when you know who you are and you know who He is? Or do you fall on your face and do you lift your hands like you're, you're in an alley and the cops are rolling up behind you and they say, freeze. The first thing I'm doing is I surrender. I need some mercy. I need some help. I'm unarmed. I have nothing to offer here. I surrender. That's it. I, I know I'm an, I'm an introvert and I'm not asking everybody to dance even though David did. When he realized who his Savior was, who cleaned up his mess, he said, I'll even dance for you because I understand who I am and I understand who you are. I am an introvert. And let me just tell you, every time I raise my hands, it's uncomfortable for me. But it's not about whether I feel like raising my hands. It's not about whether I like hymns better or whether I like the new stuff better. It's not whether I like the lights on or the lights down. It's about the fact that I know in this moment who I am and I know who he is. And in this moment, I'm going to be like one of those three kings that bows down and worships. And when I do that, then I can give him my gifts. And then I can go work on his behalf where I take another route to protect him from King Herod. Then I can work for him outside these doors. But in a moment, we will have an opportunity to have a moment. This Sunday morning worship experience is an opportunity that's specifically crafted and designed for us to come into a safe zone, a safe room where there are other people in here who love and serve the same God that we do. And we can come in here and we can have moments of worship and moments where we bow down. I am tired of seeing the altars only have two or three people up here in the front who are in great need and they want somebody to come pray for them because of everything that's going on. And that's fine and that's good. And if you're in need, it's a great place to be and people will pray with you. But what if we just came down here and laid on our face because, oh my gosh, just like Peter, I just realized, I just realized who I am. And I just realized who he is and what else could I do but bow down and worship him? What else could I do except raise my hands and say, God, I surrender to you, not my will, but your will. I love you, God. I'm thankful to you. And so there's a piece of paper right now on your seat where you are. That's one way that you can worship in a moment. You can just write down some stuff. God, I am so thankful that you are my provider. I'm thankful that you're my healer. I'm thankful that when I'm going through a rough time, you are my comforter and you are the forgiver of my sins and my mess ups. You clean me up. God, thank you for all the blessings in my life. Thank you that if nothing else went right, if my water never gets turned back on ever again, you're still on the throne. You're still the one I love. You're still the savior of the world. You're the one we've been hoping for. You're the one we've been dying for. And now you're here and we have life and we have it more abundantly. I just realized who I am and who you are and I can do nothing else except worship. I can do nothing else except worship. I told you we're doing stuff different today. We're doing music at the end. I want us to have the opportunity over the next few minutes in this room 
to really have a moment of worship that will propel us to worship outside these walls? What if people came in here on a Sunday morning and said, I'm not, I'm not really sure about all this God stuff. I'm not even really sure if I, I believe in him, but somebody invited me and I came here today and, and I'm not sure about the whole thing, but that dude over there, he looks like he knows the answer to something that I'm looking for. He looks like he's surrendering to somebody greater than himself in this moment. I, I don't know what I think about it, but man, there's a room full of people that they act like, they act like they know the answer to life. I see it on their faces. I hear it in the way they sing, even though they don't sound good. I see it in the way they're bowing down. This morning, as we sing, as we come and pray down here, it's so encouraging. I see the stalls every single week. They come down here and they bow down and they pray together. I, I don't really know what they say when they're doing that, but it just, it just seems like maybe week after week they use this time as a reminder to say, God, it's not about us, it's about you. We dedicate our marriage, so we're praying together. We dedicate our marriage to you, our, our family to you, our business to you, whatever it might be. What, what if we use Sundays for that? Just to remind ourselves who we are and who he is. So this morning, you can write a note to God on that piece of paper. You can just tell him how you feel about him. You can just write on that paper and remind yourself of all the things that he's done for you, all the things that he is. Everything you have to be thankful for. You can, if you're a girl and you want to write a sappy love note to God, he would absolutely love it if you told him how in love you were with him. Men, maybe we write on there and it looks more like bullet points instead of paragraphs, but it's like, thank you for being my protector. I'm a man, but I still get weak. God, thank you that you make weak men strong. Thank you for making a way out of temptation for me. I thank you for forgiving me that thing last week, that thing last night. Yeah, thanks for forgiving me for that. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And thank you for giving me the strength to not do it again. And thank you for giving me more grace to live in a way that is honorable. And I can be a man of integrity and I can be a man in my family and I can be a true leader and I can lead my household toward Christ and I can lead my workplace toward Christ and can know who I am and know who you are and show everybody else too. The communion tables are going to be open during all of this time. I don't want everybody to stand up and line up and go at once, but just at any time during this worship time, you can come and you can receive offering as part of your worship moment with God. You can come down here and you can lay on your face or you can kneel at the altar. You can turn around and kneel in your seat, you can, you can stand there and you can raise your hands or you can stand there and sing really loud or you can stand there and contemplate how amazing God is. But whatever you do, just do something. I was, I was watching Tyler. He was sitting in front of me during the first song and he was uh, having a really hard time clapping on beat. I mean, just the true Nazarene there. And he's been raised Nazarene his whole life and it's like just all over the place. And so finally I saw him and he, he just went like this. 
because he was doing something because what what else would he do this is a guy that knows about some trouble he knows about some stuff he knows who he is but he knows who his god is and he's going to do something about it and the only rational logical thing to do of course is to worship that's it so this morning it may be uncomfortable you may be the introvert that wanted everybody is everybody looking at me i'm raising my hands right now and this is uncomfortable but it's not about what everybody else thinks it's about giving God what he deserves. It's about showing God what's in your heart. We don't all have to look alike, but worship. Whatever that looks like for you. Those are just examples. I'm not saying you have to do any of that stuff, but worship. And let's just have a moment here in this time, in this space that's designed to reveal to us who we are and who he is. Let's worship. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you want to find a spot in the balcony to go pray, if you just want to pace up and down the aisles, if you want to walk back and forth for whatever reason, I like to pray and worship while I'm walking back and forth. I don't really know why, but I just do that. If that's what you want to do, then do that. But this is a free space. This is an open space. Just pretend that the band playing is just a CD on the sound system and just do your worship, whatever that is for you. Are you with me? Is there anybody else that wants to show God how much we love him and who we are and who he is? The communion tables are open anytime during this. Feel free, feel open in this space to worship in the way that you choose.